So the other day I had a nightmare and when I woke up, like I was so thankful that I had finally woken up from that terrible experience. And it wasn't the kind of nightmare where there were zombies that were chasing me, but it was just one of those dreams where, you know, when you wake up, like the feelings are still lingering of fear, of anxiety, of unsettledness. And, and I was telling Kara about this and I said like, I know it was all a dream, but like when you're going through a dream, you truly experience how it actually feels. So it feels real to us. And I feel like the same thing happens when it comes to memories in our lives, especially negative memories. If I were to ask you to look back over your life and share with me the most formative memories or moments in your life, the majority of us will tell stories of pain and of suffering. The majority of us will point back to even maybe moments in our lives when we were children where we experienced trauma and still point to those moments as shaping who we are today. The research shows us that the trauma that we experience as children oftentimes will follow us to our adulthood. And if we don't deal with that, will literally affect the way we live our lives. And especially those negative memories in our lives, they have this, this way of just lingering, this way of just kind of holding us back. Sometimes even when you think about the moments in your life that you've experienced the greatest shame, like they still have a way of surfacing in your lives. I know one of the things that I often tell Kara is we'll just be doing something around the house and I'll say, you know, I just thought about this thing. Like these memories just pop up and most of the time they're moments of pain and suffering in my, in my life. You know, if you were to think about the positive moments in your life, you can remember them like the time you got that promotion you were wanting or you applied for the job you didn't think you were going to get and then you got it and just how excited you were. Like we can remember positive times too. But it's usually the negative ones that seem to remain in our collective memory. And so today I want to continue this sermon series that we've been calling Cadences of Hope. And through this, we've really been asking, how do we, as citizens of heaven, live in this world that isn't heaven at all? And we've been trying to explore the different practices or cadences or rhythms or patterns of life that we could do while we're living in this time in this place so that we could find hope, so that we can live with our faith strengthened, so that we can live joyfully, even in a world that isn't our own. Because we know that when we learn to live by the cadence of the way God wants things to be, we actually live more fully. We actually begin to live into the abundant life that Jesus called us to. And that's what we've been trying to look at for the last five weeks. Today, <coughs> excuse me. And today we're going to look at another pattern that was present at creation and actually extends all the way until the end of time. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Verse 15 tells us, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You know, it's interesting that in this story, at Mount Sinai, when, when Moses is on the mountain with God, ready to receive the Ten Commandments, God tells Moses to tell the people to remember when they were slaves in Egypt. 
But God wasn't asking them to remember just so they could go into self-pity. God wasn't asking them to remember because God was wanting them to remember those painful experiences. But he says, remember when you were slaves in Egypt? But then remember when God stretched out his arms, his metaphorical and very real arm, and rescued you from Egypt? And, and then God says, which seems kind of out of place, he says, keep the Sabbath day. And this is one of those marvelous moments in the scriptures where we think it's about one thing, but then God makes it about another thing completely. So when we, when we think about Sinai, the Israelites had just been rescued from Egypt. They had been on the run. They had been in the wilderness. They, they even wanted to go back to Egypt because they were afraid of what was waiting for them out there. They were afraid of the unknown. They were afraid to suffer. And so they said, well, at least we, we want to go back to where we know how things are going to be and we can just kind of live out our existence. But God was saying like, no, like, I know you want to go back to your comfort zone. I know you want to go back to the status quo. But if you just trust me enough, I will bring you into a better place. And so when God tells them to remember those moments, it wasn't because God wanted them to remember pain, but rather what he was doing is he was saying, remember that memory you had of suffering and, sla and, sla and being a slave for 400 years? I want you to replace that with an even earlier memory. So when Jesus tells them to keep the Sabbath day. He wasn't acting like this parent who's nagging the children to mow the lawn or take out the trash or do their chores. God never is a nagging parent, but rather God is a picture of the kind of parent that invites you to live into a better reality. And God knew that for the, for the Israelites in this crucial moment of their journey out of Egypt, that the only way they could learn to live into this new reality that God was calling them into, they actually had to go further back. So sometimes, even in our own lives, when we look back at some of those painful moments in our lives, we have to learn to reframe. We have to learn to see with a new perception because otherwise we will be stuck living in lives of pity and self-loathing. And so when God tells them here, remember the Sabbath day, remember to keep it holy, what he was saying is this, replace your memories of pain and suffering with an even earlier memory. At Sinai, the Israelites still remembered the Pharaoh who thought himself to be God, who was a tyrant, who literally could end them with a snap of a finger. They still remembered their taskmasters, their overlords, who were there whipping them and punishing them and hurting them if they didn't create enough bricks every single day. They still remembered all of the painful moments where they didn't know if they were going to have enough food. They still remembered the fact that they were not humans, but they were treated as an animal that only was good for making bricks. Like God was literally saying, like, you remember that, but remember that in the midst of that difficult suffering moment in your life, I rescued you out of there because I heard your cry. And sometimes in our memories of pain and suffering, the very best thing that we can do is just offer up that cry, asking God to allow us to release those memories, rescue us from those memories so that we can then begin to live into the newness that God has created for us. And so at Sinai, the Israelites remembered the terrible years of slavery, of servitude, of pain, of suffering, even of family members being killed. But God says, listen, go back 
even further. So if we look at Genesis chapter 2, we're going to be looking at the original creation of the Sabbath to learn to live into this new cadence of hope. Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done. You know, it's when the Bible writers use the word for God ceasing, it's like like Shabbat, ceasing. And it's this very active word that God intentionally stops His work of creation to do something else. So now let's remember the the seven days of creation. On the seventh day, God stops His work. But on the sixth day, the day before the seventh day, God creates Adam and Eve. So here's what's powerful about this. So if Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day, then the very next day was their first full day on earth. God stops His work to make time so that Adam and Eve, on their first day of life in this new world, they could enter into relationship. They could enter into the presence of God. You see, so many times when we talk about Sabbath, it's it's just about all the things that we can't do, all the things we're not allowed to do, all the thou shalt nots. But when God creates the Sabbath at creation, there was no thou shalt nots. It was you shall enter into the presence of God. And we know this from experience, that the greatest moments of hope in our lives are the moments when we are in the presence of God. And at creation, God sets this rhythm, this cadence, this pattern of life. You know, we work five, six days a week, and then on the seventh day, we rest. And you know this, it's intuitive to our bodies, to the way that God created us, because when you get to Friday afternoon when work is winding down, and this was obviously before our stay-at-home, shelter-in-place quarantine, but like on Fridays, you, you kind of are like just sliding into the weekend because your body just knows that, hey, it's tired. The six days are over, and now we are beginning the best part of our week. And so oftentimes for us, when we think of the first day of the week, we oftentimes, like it's Sunday, but the first day of our work week for most of us is Monday. But for the original humans, the first day for them of existence was Sabbath. God literally hand wraps and puts a bow on top of the greatest gift that God could give anyone on a day, not of work, but a day of rest, a day of pausing, a day of knowing that we don't have to produce more, we don't have to work more hours, we don't have to earn our keep, we don't have to do anything to be justified because all we need to do is be in the presence of God. You know, in the world that we live in, so much of our identity is tied to our career. So much of our worth is tied to how many hours we can work so that we could have a paycheck to be able to provide for our families, to be able to provide for some of the other nice things that we like in our lives. So much of our identity is wrapped up in the trophies we get, in the promotions we get, in the affirmations and the accolades that we get. So much of our identity is wrapped up in external things. But on the Sabbath, God says, listen, all that is great. You got six days to work. 
You have six days to put that overtime in. You have six days to try to get further ahead in life. You have six days to do whatever it is that you want when it comes to work. You want to work 24 hours a day? Go for it. But on the Sabbath, God says, you stop all that. Not because God doesn't care about your job or your career, about you providing for your family, but because on the Sabbath, God says, when you enter into this 24-hour period every seven days, you remember that your identity is not about all the things you do, but your identity is about who you are and who you know. Your identity is wrapped up in being known by the God who creates all things. And so on the Sabbath, we pause from all the things that bring us value, all the things that puff us up, all the things that give us identity. And on the Sabbath, we remember that our worth and our value is infinite because we were given life by the God who loves us endlessly. Sabbath is about being present to God being present to our lives around us. Abraham Joshua Heschel would say that the Sabbath, he's an ancient um, rabbi who, who would say that the Sabbath is a cathedral in time. Th- think about that. You know, when we, and I know as Seventh-day Adventists, our churches don't look like cathedrals, but a cathedral is often associated with this kind of sacredness, this sanctity, this kind of, if you've ever been into a cathedral, you begin to experience that even if you're not of that tradition of faith, you still enter into it and there is a sense of reverence. I still remember about 16 years ago, um, I had bought, I was in seminary in Michigan and I had brought a friend and his wife to the airport at O'Hare. And then I decided that I would drive into the city and just walk around and explore Chicago. It was my first time in the city. And I still remember 16, 17 years ago, walking around the city and thinking like, I would love to live here. Like, be careful what you wish, right? Like, it's one of those things where whenever I've desired something like that in my life, God always answers in that way, which I am so eternally grateful for that. But I remember it was cold that day and being from California, I didn't have a really warm weather jacket. I probably had just like a basic jacket. And and as I was walking around, I decided to go into what's called the Holy Name Cathedral in downtown Chicago. And I remember walking in there just to get out of the cold. I remember I had a book and a journal. I was an idealist, I guess. I was a poet. I don't know. I would always take my journal everywhere I went. But I remember entering into this cathedral and it was warm and I just kind of sat there. And there was other people there. There weren't many, but there was other people who were there who were kneeling down, who were praying. Some of them were reading the scriptures. But for a brief moment, I just paused long enough and I just sensed that this was a place where there was something reverent that was happening. I wasn't of that faith tradition, but I realized that people were coming there for something. The Sabbath is our cathedral in time. The Sabbath doesn't mean that you have to go somewhere to experience God's presence more. In fact, what we've experienced throughout this whole quarantine at home is that the presence of God can be found anywhere and everywhere. That the church doesn't cease being a church because we're not meeting in a building, but rather the church, you and I, continue to experience worship. You know, it reminds me of the words where Jesus says that God doesn't want people who go and worship at a specific place. But that true worship is one that is led by the Spirit and by truth. So whether we are at home in our living rooms 
or whether we are in our church building on 301 Bowton, like the spirit of truth is still present to us. And the Sabbath is present to us because whether we're ready for it or not, Sabbath comes every single week at the same time on the seventh day. And God is inviting us to enter into this beautiful cathedral in time, a sanctuary in time. Several years back, or it's probably been more like 10 or 15 years ago, there was a, a writer by the name of A.J. Jacobs. Is it A.J. Jacobs? A.J. AJ Jacobs. And he wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically. Now, this guy was agnostic. From what I know, he still is agnostic, which means that he doesn't really know if he believes in God or if there is a God. But he decided to write a book and he decided to follow the Old Testament laws to the T. So it meant that he didn't cut his hair, he didn't cut his sideburns, um, he wouldn't wear like clothes that had more than one seam. I mean, it was just like more than one thread. I mean, he did everything he could. He followed all of the Levitical rules for what he was eating. But then he also like observed the Sabbath from Friday to Saturday. And here's what he writes. This is what the Sabbath should feel like. A pause. Not just a minor pause, but a major pause. Not just lowering the volume, but a muting. As a famous rabbi, Abraham Joshua Heschel put it, the Sabbath is a sanctuary in time. Like, I love the image that this, this person who has no affiliation to God, who doesn't even know if God exists or if there's even a God, but one who literally followed the Old Testament laws and still found that in the practice of the Sabbath, you could pause, you could mute. And I love it because we live in a noisy world. Even though we've been sheltering in place, the world is still noisy. Whether it comes from our cell phones, our computer screens, or our TV screens, the world is noisy. And on Sabbath, God says, just pause, just mute it. Don't just lower the volume, just mute it, just stop it. Because Sabbath is about entering a relationship with God. And it's not just about us filling the quota. But if you've ever been in a healthy, loving relationship, you realize how much joy you experience as a result of it. How much happiness and hope you experience in it. And God made it, sewed it into the fabric of existence for us to have a date with God every seven days. Most of you know the story, but when Kara and I were dating, we were dating long distance. Uh, she was in Tennessee, I was in California, and once a month, if we could, we would either, I would either fly to Tennessee or she would fly to California. And I just remember just how wonderful it was that, like, texting is great, phone calls are awesome, uh, we use Skype because she's an Android and I'm a Mac, so uh, we didn't have something that worked back then, so it was Skype. And all those are wonderful. Like, obviously it led us to getting married. <laughs> but there was no, no substitute for us being present to each other face to face. And, and sometimes it was only for a couple of days, maybe it was for a week. It was never very long because we just couldn't do that because we both had jobs. But there was something about being present to each other in person that made everything so much better and joyful. And that's the same thing with the Sabbath. God is inviting you to take what you've done all week long, to take all the study you've done, all the praise, all the prayer, all the thinking and worshiping God, all of that, God says, take all of that, and that's 
essential to your life of faith. That's essential to living as a citizen of heaven. That is essential to being filled with hope and faith and trust. But on Sabbath, you get to enter into the special connection that we have with God. And God does this because Sabbath is a glimpse into what eternity will be like. So while we may not be able to visibly see God on the Sabbath, when we come to church, we begin to visualize what eternity will be like. Because we don't know what eternity will be like very much. But what we do know is this, that God will be there and we, brothers and sisters in Christ, will be there. And so Sabbath is a glimpse into eternity. So I want to look at another passage in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Bible tells us that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. God handcrafts, handmakes this gift for God. God doesn't just go buy a gift off the shelf, but God literally creates this day for us to enter into relationship with Him. And not only that, but to be able to rest from having to prove our worth, having to rest from having to earn our worth, having to earn our justification. But it is a day when we get to pause all of that. And I know growing up, it, it always felt like a day of things I couldn't do. But as an adult, I began to realize that it's a day where I get to stop all those things that I thought were important. And God says, the Sabbath was made for man. It was a gift that was given to us so that we could be in sync in the pattern that was present at creation. And so as we begin to think of living as citizens of heaven, the Sabbath then becomes the pattern by which we model our lives and the pattern by which we can anchor our weeks. Yeah, I don't know about you, but over the last, I guess it's been eight weeks or so, almost two months that we've been at staying at home, and it has all felt like one long day. Like when you go on a cruise ship, you need to have it on the elevators the day of the week so that you know what day of the week it is. And, and that's what it's felt like for me a lot of the times. It's just one long day. But I always know when the Sabbath comes, everything is different. Everything is better than it was. And it becomes that anchor point in our lives that we can hold on to that fills us with hope. Several years ago, I was asked to do a funeral at sea. So there was a, I had been doing a grief group and one of the gentlemen had asked me if I would come and do the, the funeral on a boat down in Dana Point, down in Southern California. And I thought to myself, of course, it would be an honor. He, him and I became friends over the time. And so I, I said, it would be an honor for me to come and do this. He says, okay, great. Um, come an hour and a half early. So it was like four o'clock. Go ahead and come out here. We're going to have dinner at this restaurant that's right on the bay. And, you know, it's on me. Don't worry about it. Come enjoy this. And, and it was this really like fancy restaurant. So I said, of course. So I show up and, you know, I, he said, eat whatever you want. So, you know, I got the best thing that I thought that looked good. I was like, well, that's really good. But like three fourths into this, I thought to myself, wait a minute, like I'm feeling myself, but we're about to go out into the ocean. And like, there's a reason they call it being seasick because you're out in the ocean. So I thought to myself, no, nah, I should be fine. So in any case, I stopped eating just in case. We go out there and on this one particular day, and it was one of those whale watching ships. So it wasn't this big ship, it was smaller. It was just family and a few close friends. 
But like within minutes, and it was super choppy, you could imagine it was going up and down, up and down. And I began to think to myself, I think I shouldn't have had anything to eat. And so like he looks at me, he's like, are you doing okay? And I, and I said, yeah, like I think I'm going to be okay. I said, but just in case, can you tell me where the bathroom is? And he says, like, there's no bathroom on this ship. Like these ships don't have bathrooms because it was just like this little touristy thing. He goes, there is like this little closet and it has a bucket. And I just thought to myself, like, I am going to embarrass myself. I was dressed in a suit. I was the pastor that was going to officiate this this um, this funeral. And I just kept getting closer and closer and closer to that bucket where I thought I was going to need because I just felt terrible. And so then one of the crew members, they said, like, you don't look good. Can we suggest something for you to do? And I said, sure. They said, go sit up on, I don't know if it's called the bow. I don't know, it was the back of the boat. She said, go sit up there. And whatever you do, don't take your eyes off of the horizon. They said, if you keep your eyes on the horizon, you're going you're gonna to start to settle down and then those feelings you're feeling are going to stop to go away. But what ends up happening is when you take your eyes off the horizon, like your body doesn't know what to kind of focus on, but the horizon will keep you steady. And at that point, it sounded ridiculous, but I felt so terrible. I said, fine, I have to. <laughs> they gave me like a cold rag. to put. It was so embarrassing. Right, talking about those memories that linger in our in our subconscious, but I get up, I got up there, I sat down, and I ignored everyone else, and I just kept my eyes on the horizon, and like after a few minutes, I started to feel better. Sabbath is a lot like that in our lives. It is that thing that we fix our eyes to, not just the day but the thing that happens on that day where God invites us into his presence so that we can be filled by his hope, by his faith, by his strength, by his peace, by his happiness. So in a world of so much noise, in the, in the waves of life, as it ebbs and flows, God is saying, like, keep your eyes on me. It's not just a 24-hour period that is important. It's what happens on that day where you get to enter into my presence. And so I want to f finish and close with this last text in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9. And the writer of the Hebrews tells us that there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. See, the Bible, of he the writer of Hebrews points our direction, our minds, into the direction of the Sabbath. And, and when it talks about this Sabbath rest for the people of God, he, Hebrews isn't talking about a physical rest. Like Hebrews is talking about the rest from the existential angst that we face in this world, from the worry, from the suffering, from the pain, from all the things that are waiting for us on Sunday or Monday or Tuesday, that on the Sabbath rest and, and this rest of God is that all our fears will be quelled. All our shame will be erased. All our sins will be forgiven. All the things that bring negativity into our lives will be done away with when we enter into this, what is called the Sabbath rest that we find only in the presence of God. So as we live as citizens of heaven on this earth, when we so often feel as we are dislocated or as we're just passing through as sojourners in this land, where we just want to escape and go to heaven, like in those moments, remember, 
the God who created the Sabbath, the God of the Sabbath, the God who on this day asks us to enter into a special way into his presence because God only wants to fill you with his hope. And on that day, you don't have to worry about earning your keep or justifying your value or your worth. We weren't created to be human doings. We were created as human beings. And on the Sabbath, we are reminded that God will not only sustain us, but it is our value and our worth that comes from Him. So we want to encourage you, as a fellow pilgrim on this earth, to tap into the cadence and the rhythm of the day God creates for all our worries, all our fears, all our suffering to be paused for a 24-hour period so that we can be reminded and get a glimpse into what eternity will be like.